Well, good morning, church, preschoolers, those going to the preschool class, you are dismissed, and everyone else, please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be taking a brief break from our study of Romans to consider the power and the wisdom of God. Uh, This morning's sermon is titled, The Power and Wisdom of God, Part 1. Friday night, which I hope you'll be here for, will be Part 2. And Easter Sunday will be Part 3. The Power and Wisdom of God. Many of us were reminded of what real power looks like and feels like as the storm came through Johnson County Friday night. Sometimes we forget the different levels of power that there are in the world. Uh, For example, we think that if someone can lift a few more weights than we can in the weight room, that, oh, they are powerful. Or we think uh, uh, that someone who is a few rungs up on the ladder at work than us or who makes a little bit more money than we do or has a bit more influence at work than we do, oh, that person is powerful. Or we think someone who has read maybe a few more books than we have and has a few more degrees than we have, oh, that person is powerful. And then we have an encounter with a power that is on a whole other level. A whole other level than the power that we tinker with and pursue. And when we encounter a power like that, we are quickly put in our place. Because when we encounter really powerful things, we find that we can't negotiate with them We can't manipulate them. We can't really figure out how to harness and control them. No, when we encounter real power, we realize how little power we actually have. And we can then decide to either fight it, ignore it, or yield and submit to it. And here's my concern for us, and the questions I'd ask that you consider this week as you prepare for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. This morning will really be much just like as an introduction to what's coming next weekend. But consider these questions this week. Has the cross of Christ been emptied of its power in your life? How much influence does the cross of Christ hold in your life? Is the transformative power of the cross of Christ still alive and active in your life? Or has the message of the death and resurrection become so familiar to you that it seems like a mild thunderstorm that doesn't really alter your life in any way. You keep on living and doing what you want, when you want, and how you want. You barely notice it at all. 
Church, the word of the cross, the message of the cross, it is the power of God. And I'm not talking about a little thunderstorm, light rain type of power. I'm talking about a tornado power that either destroys or transforms everything and everyone that experiences it. For it is a power that you either fight or you ignore or or you yield and submit to. In our little pursuits of power and influence in this world, in, in our handling of this little power and little responsibilities that God has given us, have we forgotten what real power is? Have we forgotten the transforming power of the cross? My prayer for us this week is that we would be in awe of the power and the wisdom of God. Power and wisdom are are two things that we as a people, we are obsessed with. This is true even in the church. But here's the problem with that. The problem is that we stop being transformed by the power and wisdom of God when we start pursuing wisdom as a way to achieve more power and influence over others. And even God himself, we try to gain some power and influence and control over. We start pursuing more knowledge and more doctrine and more information and more wisdom and more skill and living, not as a way to serve God and others, but as a way to exert power and influence over others. And by doing so, instead of surrendering to the transforming power of God, we cling to our little knowledge and wisdom as a way to keep the little power and influence we think we have over people and over God. And we wrongly think that we can experience the power of God while still clinging to our own. And this was what was happening in Corinth. I know we're kind of parachuting into a book of the Bible this morning, and I don't love to, that this be the normal way of preaching, but sometimes it's necessary. The church in Corinth had started to quarrel and experience division because some were saying, well, I follow Peter, and others were saying, I follow Apollos, and others that I follow Paul, and the really religious ones were like, oh, I follow, the, I follow Christ. And you have to understand that the Corinthian culture in general, they really prized their great speakers and their philosophers. They were like the heroes of the day, those people that could come in and and stand on a platform and and communicate with, with great rhetoric and great skill and great illustrations and win people over to their way of thinking. And they each have kind of their favorite teacher, their favorite books, their favorite podcast they're listening to, and they're thinking that, that their teacher, their knowledge and wisdom that this teacher has is going to give them power over the other people in the church. And therefore, quarrels and divisions are starting, which quarrels and divisions are always starting because people are trying to gain power and influence over others for diff- in different ways for different reasons. But here Paul is going to put them all, including us, in our places. And he's going to remind them very simply of the cross of Christ. 
And I don't want to overcomplicate the message of this week and the message this morning and Friday and Sunday. My goal is to keep this very simple because this simple message is a powerful one. And that is the message of the cross of Christ. Because it was on the cross of Christ that the power and the wisdom of God were put on display. And the power of God is greater than any sort of power we have or have ever experienced. And the wisdom of God is deeper than any sort of wisdom that we have or could comprehend. And therefore, God's great power and his deep wisdom put us in our place and transform our lives when we surrender and yield to them. This morning, we will look at the power and wisdom of God by first seeing how the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but then we'll see how to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we'll then keep talking more about the power and wisdom of God Friday night and next Sunday, but let's pray and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Father, we come before your word today, some of us still a bit fatigued, a bit shaken up, a bit even fearful, Lord, of of the tremendous power of the storm that we experienced here in in this area. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would Show us by the power of your Spirit how much greater and how much stronger your power is. And may we come and tremble and yet also be comforted by your great power and grace this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would have for us. May you feed your people your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The word of the cross, the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now, because we live roughly 2,000 years after Christ was crucified, we see a cross, we see the symbol of a cross, and we think very differently than people in the first century would have as they looked at a cross. A cross in the first century was a symbol of a cruel and shameful death. I mean, not only did crucified people have to experience the pain of dying a slow death, but these were happening publicly. Crucifixions were done in a way that was intended to humiliate and to shame the person being crucified as much as possible. And so think about how crazy it would sound if 
if another symbol of execution was exalted like the Christ, like, like the cross has been? I mean, what if we took an electric chair, something that is used to execute criminals, and what if that became the symbol we put on our churches and what we wore on our jewelry and necklaces? You can imagine and understand why those who had not received all that the message of the cross means, you can see why they would see it as foolishness and as crazy. The Jews who were looking forward to the Messiah, they were looking forward to the anointed one, the Christ to come and rescue them from their enemies and right all wrongs and restore peace and shalom on the earth. In the wisdom and the knowledge that they had, they couldn't comprehend how the words crucified and Christ could be in the same sentence. They, they, they couldn't see that. Now, the scriptures had spoken of a suffering servant that was to come, but it wasn't clear that the suffering servant and the Messiah were going to be the same person. But nonetheless, many of them, in their limited knowledge and wisdom, they couldn't see how the Christ could be crucified and still be the Christ, the Messiah. For Paul to say, but we preach Christ crucified, which will be the phrase you hear me repeat over and over Friday night, but we preach Christ crucified, but we preach Christ crucified, but we preach Christ crucified, for that will, Lord willing, be always what is true of the ministry of this church, that we preach Christ crucified. The unbelieving Jews, though, they couldn't receive this. They couldn't believe in a crucified Christ, and they stumbled over this. In their limited wisdom, they couldn't see how this was all coming together. On the other hand, unbelieving Gentiles, they couldn't see how people could worship a God who was crucified. I mean, what kind of God allows himself to be crucified by his own creation? How weak that God must be. It just seemed crazy to them and utter foolishness to preach about a God who was crucified. No human being could fathom or come up with such a thought as that. In a recent excavation of the city of Rome, an ancient wall was uncovered that dates back to the early 2nd or 3rd century. And, and this wall, it had a drawing on it. And the drawing was of someone hanging on a cross with the head of a donkey, which was a sign of mockery, and someone bowing to it with this mocking inscription that says, here Alex worships his God. They're, they're, making, they're making fun of. Right? They're mocking the fact that someone would bow down to and worship a God who was crucified. Oh, church, do not be surprised when there are those who consider the message of the cross to be folly. Church, we must not be surprised or taken off guard or even discouraged when there are some who consider the message of the cross to be folly and who then also think we are fools as well. Oh, I know this is hard for some of us who really like to be liked by people 
and thought of well by people. But we must be ready to experience some degree of resistance and pushback, some name-calling, some reputation-bashing when we preach the gospel. When we go all in on a crucified and risen Christ, listen, those who are perishing, the word of the cross is going to be folly to them, and you are going to be considered a fool, a bigot, and an intolerant hypocrite. Now, the world, for the most part, will be fine if you just preach about Christ. If you just stick to Jesus, if you just share about his life and his teaching and his compassion and his, even some of his miracles, they'll be okay with that. And some pastors and churches, some will take this approach of just pointing to Jesus as a great teacher and as a great example. But if you preach Christ crucified... Well, that is where those who are perishing will turn on you because a crucified Christ begs the question of why did he have to be crucified? And if he was crucified to atone for sin, well, then that is where your reputation will be crucified as well. Because a Christ who was crucified on behalf of sinful people, that is offensive. It is offensive to the pride of humanity. It is offensive to those that think human beings are the measure of all things. A crucified Christ is offensive to people's pride, specifically their morals and their intelligence. It is offensive to people's morals because it puts on display just how wretched their sin really is and that they are in need of a Savior and that they can't save themselves. And it is offensive to people's intelligence because on the cross we see a deeper wisdom and a greater power at work than anything we've experienced amongst humanity or from any of the other false gods. I mean, the cross is, the cross is crazy. <laughs> the cross is offensive. The cross is crazy offensive to human beings who believe that they are the measure of all things. But even some of you have let this symbol and this message become too familiar and too comfortable. Even some of you have started to fight or ignore the power of the cross. Some of you, the message of the cross, while you would never say it's folly, your actual lives, the way they're being lived and how you are experiencing the Lord, the cross is starting to become less and less of an influence and power in your life. It's starting to become like folly in your life. And you are in danger of looking at the cross and forgetting what it means and the power and the influence that it should be having on your life. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Oh, what humanity needs is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to translate what God is telling us on the cross. You see, for some, it's like trying to read a foreign language. You maybe recognize a word here or there, but you don't know what it means. Imagine that you're, you're lost in a dark forest and you're unable to find your way through safely to where you need to go, but then you come across the sign that reads, this is the way. But the only problem is it's written in a language that you do not understand. You don't know how to translate it. And so you ignore it and continue wandering in darkness. Oh, you see, God, through the cross, proclaims to the world, this is the way. But many cannot yet understand it. Many cannot yet translate it. God has not yet opened their eyes through the power of the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. And therefore, the cross still seems like foolishness to them. Oh, but if they would only gaze a little longer. If God's people would only proclaim a little more bolder. Would they not see the way, the truth, and the life? If only they would taste the fruit of this tree, would not their eyes be open to see the way back to God? But thanks be to God, there is a deeper wisdom and a greater power than humanity has known if only we would look to the cross and see and experience the power and the wisdom of God. Look back at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross does not just contain some power from God. It does not just lead us into some more power for ourselves. No, it is the power of God. Paul wrote something very similar to the Romans in Romans 1.16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is a power that we have not known before. This is not a power that we can relate to in some way, like, oh, God has some power, like I have some power. He's got some responsibility, like I have some responsibility. He's powerful and influential in this ways, and just like I'm powerful and influential in these ways. No, these things are not comparable. The message of the cross is the, the powerful, the powerful, the powerful power of God that will either destroy you or transform you, but it will not leave you the same. There are no neutral positions that you can take towards God. He says in verse 24, But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, they will see Christ crucified and behold both the power and the wisdom of God. 
Because listen, church, for on the cross, God powerfully and effectively made himself known to the world. He made himself known to the world that he is both just and merciful, that he is both righteous and gracious. I mean, could there be a more powerful display of who our God is? A God who does not sweep sin under the rug, but who is willing to take the punishment your sin deserves. A God who is holy and glorious and must be separate from sin, and yet he is also a God who humbles himself to reconcile sinners to himself. Oh, he is a God who is powerful and wise, who simultaneously accomplished your redemption, disarmed his enemies, fulfilled the prophecy, purified the heavenly places, and ushered in a new world as he was the first of many resurrections to come. Would we not look to the cross and see the deeper wisdom of God and the greater power of God? May we, by the power of the Spirit, through faith in Christ, be able to translate what the cross means. Those who have eyes to see, you can see the message that God has wisely and powerfully communicated with us on the cross as he has said, this is the way. This is the way. God says, this is the way. This is the way to truth. This is the way to life. He says, this is the way to me. It's not through you grasping for and clinging on to more power for yourselves. It's not through getting a hold of more and more knowledge and wisdom so that you can hold power over others. No, he says, this is the way. The way to life is the way of the cross. The way to victory is the way of the cross. The way to experience the transforming power of God is the way of the cross. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is the way. It is through surrendering ourselves. It's through laying down the things that we are holding on to, that we think are giving us power over others and power over God. It's through laying down our arms that we actually find the way to be transformed by the power of God. Church, you see, the cross, the cross just completely humbles us morally. Like I've said before, the cross completely humbles us morally, and it should cause us to lay down any self-righteous, any self-righteousness that we are holding on to, that we think gives us some power over others and over God. I mean, we like to think that we're not that bad, that our sin is not that bad. Surely God grades on a curve, and we're kind of looking at the people around us thinking, yeah, we're not that bad. But the cross is not just the way to God for the worst Christians, but for all Christians. The cross is the way to God for all Christians. 
the word of the the cross, the message of the cross is God's way of opening up the eyes of the self-righteous and saying, no, you, you, church kid, the cross was for you too. You have been called to come and die and lay down all that you are holding on to that that you think makes you more righteous than others. You see, some of you church kids, you're living as if the cross is folly. Some of you only see the cross as good news for other people. I mean, it's cool that Jesus paid for all their awful sins, but you don't really think that you need a crucified Christ. Just the, just the Christ would be sufficient for you. I don't, need a, I don't need a crucified Christ. And therefore, because you don't think you need a crucified Christ, You can get your mind around trying to be more like Jesus when he rode into the city on a donkey and everyone's praising and shouting and cheering. But you're light years away from ever considering what it means to be more like Jesus as he carries his cross up Calvary. Some of you want to be united to Christ on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, but not on Good Friday. Some of you, I don't know, maybe you aren't even planning to come Friday. I mean, the cross, that's for other people. That's for those, maybe maybe I'll get my neighbor to try to come. That's for those who come to faith later in life, right? They've got longer lists of more serious sins. I mean, I'm a church kid. I've been asking WWJD since I can remember. But listen up, church kid. What Jesus did on Friday might be the only thing that has the power to wake you up to the depravity of your own heart. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power in your life. Not only does the cross humble us morally, the cross completely humbles our intelligence because on the cross we see that there was a deeper wisdom at work in the world that humans and demons could not figure out. Paul is later on in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8 going to speak of this when he says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God, through the cross, just puts on display this deeper wisdom at work in the world that none of us are perfectly kind of tuned in with. On the cross, he proclaims that there is a deeper wisdom at work in the world than the wisdom of men or the wisdom of the enemy. Now, in bringing this to light and bringing this to the surface, I'm not trying to diminish the limited power and responsibility and wisdom and knowledge we have and are expected to exercise in the world. But know this and take heart in this and be humbled by this. You will never comprehend the Lord to the extent that you should feel as if you've got him all figured out. Yes, he is faithful to his word, and we can count on him fulfilling his promises. But, 
but have some intellectual humility to see that the way he has fulfilled his words from the old covenant, I mean, they never actually were fulfilled the way humans thought they were going to be fulfilled. But he fulfilled them nonetheless because there is a deeper wisdom at work in the world, deeper than the wisdom of man, deeper than the wisdom of the enemy. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It doesn't say our God is in the heavens and he does all that pleases you. No, he says, though it says he does all that he pleases. There is a deeper wisdom and a deeper knowledge at work in our world that should humble us And that should also comfort us. But some of you are not experiencing the transforming power of the cross in your lives right now. Which is why I'm grateful for a week like the week we have ahead of us. Has the cross of Christ been emptied of its power in your life? Consider that today and the rest of this week. How much influence does the cross of Christ hold in your life? Is the transforming power of the cross still alive and active in your life? Now, here are some things that will be drying up when the cross of Christ is having less and less power and influence in your life. I want to give you some examples, all right? When the the influence and the power of the cross is, is dwindling in your life, here are some things that are going to be drying up in your life. First is your ability to express thanksgiving and gratitude to God will start to diminish and dry up. You won't have thanksgiving overflowing in your heart. You won't have a thankful, grateful heart. No, you'll start feeling a bit more entitled. You'll start feeling as if God owes you some things. you'll, You'll only be able to see what God has chosen to not give you, and you'll be blind to all that he has given you. When the cross of Christ is not powerful and influential in your life, you'll, you'll be consumed with grasping at for, for all these things that God has not given you, and you'll be unable to enjoy all he has given you. Hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving will start to dry up and diminish if the cross of Christ is not having power and influence in your life. Well, what else happens when the cross of Christ is having less power and influence in your life? Another thing is your ability to forgive others will start diminishing. Why? You got to understand the why here because one of the reasons why this will happen is because you think that as long as you hold on to this thing against your brother or sister, you think as long as you hold on to this offense, then that in some sick way gives you power and influence over that person. It gives you some control over them. They now have to act a certain way when they're around you because they know what they did and they know you know what they did. And if you can just hold on to it, then you can get the power and influence that you want. And if you were to let go and forgive, I mean, you might, you might lose all your power. 
what else happens when the cross of Christ is having less and less power and influence in your life? Well, another thing is your ability to have hope for the future starts to diminish. Been talking about hope from Romans these last couple of weeks. Maybe some of you have noticed you just you don't have that ability, your, your ability to hope for the future. It's, it's drying up. It's diminishing. Because you see, as you're holding on to your power and your wisdom, you're trying to look into the future and be optimistic and hopeful, but it's difficult apart from God's greater power and God's deeper wisdom. You can't see how this could all work out. You can't see how a crucified Christ in the same sentence could be a good thing. And therefore, you wrongly conclude that there is no hope. And instead of experiencing hope, you will become weighed down with anxiety because people experience anxiety when they imagine a future where God's power and God's wisdom are not present with them. What happens when the cross of Christ is having less and less power and influence in your life? Another thing is your ability to grieve and experience conviction over sin will start to diminish your view of grace will start to be smaller and smaller to the point where you start to forget about how, the, how serious sin really is. And this will be all because you think you were saved because you prayed the, the prayer you prayed. And you've forgotten that you were saved because of the price that he paid Show me someone who treats sin lightly and I'll show you someone who the cross is having less and less power and influence on. What happens when the cross of Christ is having less and less power and influence in your life? Pride will grow and true humility will start to diminish. Now, if you're a church-going person, You'll probably still figure out a way to use the right words so that you can still appear to be impacted by the cross, but your motivation for spiritual growth will not be for the praise of his, glory, of his glorious grace, but instead you will seek to grow in spiritual maturity so that you can have power and influence over people. Your learning and your study will turn in on itself, and no longer will you learn doctrine to help other people. No, you'll learn doctrine to try to get power and control over other people. You'll figure out how to play the game of Christianity, how to get in the back of the line because you know it's actually the front of the line. All the while you do this for more power, more influence, and more glory for yourself. And you appear to be humble, but in times of trouble and stress, your true heart will come out. And you're so afraid of that happening. The church is the transformative power of the cross of Christ, still alive and active in your life. Here's... here's one of the reasons why you're not experiencing the power and wisdom of God to its fullest that was put on display for you on the cross. It's because you're still holding on to all the things you think are going to give you power over God and over other people. You're like the kid who's clinging to all these trinkets and toys. His hands are too full to actually fully embrace his father. 
The cross of Christ bids the follower of Christ to come and lay everything else down in order that we might take hold of Christ, who is the very power and wisdom of God. Church, there is not much your flesh can hold on to when you are crucified with Christ. What if you were less concerned about having power and influence over others and more concerned with the power of the cross having a greater influence over you? Oh, what if the word of the cross freed you to have thankful heart, a thankful heart towards God? For how can anyone really be ungrateful at the foot of the cross? What if the word of the cross freed you to forgive one another? What if the way forward in a relationship was for you to die to yourself and absorb the cost that someone else should have taken? What if the power of God through your crucified Christ empowered you today to let go of whatever you are holding on to that you think is giving you power over someone else? What if you just let that go? What if you laid it at the foot of the cross and trusted Christ with it? What if the word of the cross started replacing your anxiety with hope? Because as you experience the power and wisdom of God on the cross, you realize that that same power and that same wisdom that was displayed on the cross, it is still at work in the world and it will be tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And if God does all that he pleases, and it pleased him to die for you, what else is there really to fear? What if the word of the cross reignited your passion to see sin rooted out and confessed and sanctified in your life? For you know that the grace that you've experienced, it was not free, but it was costly. And God takes your sin so seriously because not only is it you breaking his word, but your sin is breaking you. And he wants the best for you, which is why he was willing to suffer the worst for you. What if the word of the cross just makes full out war on your pride and all your churchy false humility? For the cross has exposed to all of us just how bad the sin is that still exists in each of our hearts. But I realize, church, that it is difficult to let go of our pursuit of power. And the only way we are freed to let go is when we know that we are safe when we know that we are safe. We are a people who ultimately want to be safe. Oh, sure, we want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to be well-fed. We want to be well-rested. We want to be comfortable. We want to be respected. But ultimately, we want to be safe. And to let go of ingratitude 
to let go of unforgiveness, to let go of anxiety, to let go of our complacency towards sin, to let go of our pride and false humility. In order to do this, in order to let go of those things, we have to know that we are safe. And church, hear me. God's power and God's wisdom are only found in Christ. And dear church, in Christ, you are safe. You are safe. The word of the cross says this is the way to find the safety you desire. Now, I'm not sure what everyone did when the tornado sirens were going off or the, 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 uh, your, your phone started alerting you. It seems like they could do, you know, in an emergency, you're, you're not supposed to panic. It seems like the alarm on the phone could be a bit more gradual, just kind of easing you into it. But the, the, your phone goes off, the tornado sirens go off, and you're, you're flipped into to survival mode. You got to get into safe, to, to a safe place. I would guess that everyone probably has a spot in your, in your house or wherever you're living that you feel is the safest part of your house to get into, whether it's the basement or the, a ground-level room away from windows. We had to wake up the boys, guide them down the stairs in the dark, all very confused as to what was happening. Had to guide them, carry them, say, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way to the safe room. Then we got there, blankets, pillows, they laid down, they rested. They trusted that their mom and dad would be aware of what's going on and, and ultimately we're now in the, the safe room of the house. Church, Christ is our safe room. When we come to faith in Christ, we are safe. You no longer have to fear the power of God. You no longer have to fear the power of the enemy. You no longer have to fear the power of man. You no longer have to fear any power that is at work in this world because ultimately our God, His power is greater than all those things. And when you come to Christ, in Christ, you are now safe. I know it's scary to still be in here and hear the power that's out there that we can't control, that we can't manipulate, that we can't always predict. It's even scary to think about God's power and how, man, I can't control Him. I can't manipulate Him. I can't get him to do what I want him to do. He might do things in a way that I don't want him to do. And that's scary. That is really scary. But listen, when we are in Christ, we are safe because now in Christ, the power of God will never destroy us. It will only transform us. In Christ, we are safe, the power of God. It will never destroy us, only transform us. Whatever it seems like God is coming at against us and destroying in our life, the only, he's, he's destroying our pride, he's destroying our sin, he's destroying the sinful flesh, but all for the sake of resurrection, all for the sake of transformation, all for the sake of new life. In Christ, you are safe to let go and lay at the foot of the cross all the ways you've been pursuing power instead of experiencing and embracing 
the transforming power of God. In Christ, we are safe to let go of our power. We are safe to let go of our pursuit of wisdom for the sake of more power, and instead we can be transformed by the power and wisdom of God. And that's my desire for us this week, church, that as we gather here, as we see one another out there, as we call and meet with one another throughout the week, that we would be able to, alongside one another, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, lay down the things that we are holding on to that are keeping us from fully embracing the message of the cross, that are keeping us from fully experiencing the transforming power and wisdom of God. My prayer is that the word of the cross would not be folly in your life, May the word of the cross not be emptied of its power in your life. For to those who are being saved, the word of the cross is the very power of God. Let's pray.